about it. Mark chapter 8, verse 31. Let me give you one scripture first. This has been our key scripture through the whole thing. 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. If anyone calls himself a Christian, he ought to live. Some translations say walk as Christ lived. As Christ lived. Verse 31 in Mark chapter 8. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. (laughs) Be rejected. And then after three days, what happens? He rises again. And Jesus spoke this word openly. Then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebukes Peter. And he says this, get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. And then one of the most famous portions of scriptures you'll see in the entire Bible, verse 34, when Jesus had called the people to himself with his disciples, also he said to them, whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow after me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the Gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. He rebukes Peter and he says something about you reminds me of Satan when you are concerned with the things of earth and not the things of heaven. When your obsession is with earthly things and not heavenly things. When you're concerned with temporal things and not eternal things. And today I want to talk to you about what it looks like to follow Jesus. Because truly, if we're going to live like Jesus, we've got to follow Jesus. And to follow Jesus, we've got to go through some things and through some spaces and places that we're probably not really willing to go through. I love it that immediately Peter gets upset because up until this point, Peter's trajectory had been on an upward move. And then all of a sudden, Jesus is talking about death and suffering. And Peter's like, I don't know about all of that. But Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. You're thinking of only earthly things and not heavenly things. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word. We ask that over these next few moments, you speak so clear to us. Teach us what it means to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, to follow after you. We want to be just like you, Lord. We love you so much. Thank you for your presence that we feel in this place today. Thank you for a place we can call home, a church, a family. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. As I told you up until this point, Peter's life had been on an upward trajectory. He's a fisherman. Jesus comes and calls him to himself. It's got to be an incredible thing for a fisherman to be called by a rabbi. You know, mostly you would have these young boys who would fought, who are following the church and following the rabbis around and wanting to be picked or chosen. And here comes this man named Jesus who people are talking about, who at this point has a little bit of notoriety and he calls you and you get picked. And can you imagine you're just a fisherman? It's not a very uh, celebrated trade. It's a means of eating and getting by. 
and providing for your family. And then all of a sudden, you're a Jewish young man, you're called out into this incredible opportunity to follow Jesus. And you start this trajectory of Jesus feeding thousands and working miracles. And all of a sudden, you're following Him and He asks some questions and He turns to His disciples and He says this. He says, Who do men say that I am? And some of His disciples looked at Him and they say, Jesus, you're... They're saying you're a prophet or you're like John the Baptist or you're like Elijah. And Jesus looks at him and says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter, who's on this upward trajectory, just continues on this upward flow. And he says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus is blown away. He says, this is crazy because this is not something that you learn out of a textbook. God himself has revealed this to you. God has spoken this to you. And then he begins to tell him, That this faith that you have, this belief that you have is the thing that I'm going to build my church on. Can you imagine how prideful and how great Peter is feeling in this moment? And then Jesus switches the whole conversation and he begins to tell them about how he must suffer and die. And then Peter, who had just been having an incredible day, says, Jesus, this cannot happen. And Jesus, who had just moments before been celebrating the man who had this revelation from heaven is all of a sudden rebuking him and calling him Satan. I don't know if you've ever had days in your Christianity like that where one week you are just killing it for the Lord. Like you are on fire. You're living holy. You haven't done that thing you do in a few days and you're feeling good about yourself. And then all of a sudden, boom, you fall flat on your face and it's like, I'm Satan. I am literally (laughs) Satan. I don't know if you've ever felt like that, but up until this point, man, his trajectory, he's going high. He's flying high. And then all of a sudden, Jesus begins this process with Peter that he hadn't begun before. Peter starts to discover that God is a God of process. God is a God of process. And he begins to discover what this process looks like. After he's rebuked, Jesus said, if anybody, not just you, Peter, but if anybody wants to follow me, they must deny themselves take up their cross, and follow me. And I want to talk to you what that looks like by using Peter's life as an example. What it looks like to deny yourself, to take up a cross, and really follow after Jesus. The first thing I see is found in Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. Peter, again, has been on an upward trajectory. He's had his moments. Peter is the type of person that sticks his foot in his mouth a lot. So he's had these highs, these lows with Jesus and following Jesus. And it's getting ready to come to its all-time low moment. Jesus is talking to Peter in Luke chapter 22, and he says something extremely interesting, and it would be extremely concerning to me, and it was to Peter. Luke 22 and verse 31 through 32, Jesus says to Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when you have turned again, you will strengthen your brothers. Peter hears this statement and Peter's reply is this. He says, but Jesus, Lord, he says, I am ready to go both to prison and to death. Are you? We find out a few verses later, he wasn't. 
We find out a few verses later that the man he boasted to be wasn't the man he was. He boasted to be a man who was ready to go to prison and die with Jesus. But just a few verses later, he would be standing around a bonfire with a junior high girl denying Jesus. And then to make it even worse, to make his denial so real, he goes ahead and begins to talk like somebody who wouldn't follow Jesus. So he begins to curse and throw out all these expletives so that they would know, well, I thought he followed Jesus, but people who follow Jesus don't talk like that. So he begins to deny Jesus and act like he's never even met him. And begins to curse so that everybody is, okay, maybe he's, maybe he's telling, I swear I saw that guy, but maybe... Maybe not. Deny herself. Deny herself. What God had to do in Peter to get Peter to the place that he would be the man who would stand up on the day of Pentecost and preach one of the greatest messages the world has ever heard and thousands would come to the Lord in a moment. To get him to that point, he had to go through the process of denying yourself, take up your cross and follow after Jesus. God had to remove from Peter the boasting in himself. God had to remove from Peter the pride in himself. And God has to remove from you and me through the process of denial our own pride. Because pride will keep us from becoming what God has for us. Pride is that part of us that believes we've got this. Pride is that part of us that doesn't think we need God. Pride is that part of us that thinks we have the answer. Pride is that part of us that refuses the help and the assistance of God. Pride is that part of us that causes us to fall into sin and temptation. Pride is one of the most ridiculous things we have, but it's one of the most, it's one of the most closely held things that we have. And Jesus has to remove it from our lives so that he can get us to the place that he wants us. And so we follow Jesus. We make a decision. I'm going to follow you. So he begins to cause us to be in situations where we get hit in our pride. We begin to get hit in our pride so that we come down to the position that God wants us to be in. James chapter 3 verse 5, speaking of Peter's boasting, James chapter 3 and verse 5 tells us, how the tongue likes to boast. It says, even though the tongue is a little member, it boasts great things. But you see how a great a forest, a little fire kindles. Second Corinthians chapter 12, verses 9 through 10. It took the apostle Paul some time to get this, but he began to understand. He said, my grace is sufficient for you, God tells him. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest on me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. God knows that until we get to the end of us, His power cannot perform its perfect work in us. So he's got to remove our pride. He's got to get rid of that part of us that thinks we've got this. Because in reality, we don't have this. We don't have it. That's why Ephesians 2 would come. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 would say, Paul would say, he would say, you are not saved by works. You have been saved by grace through faith, not of works. Because it's the tendency of men to boast. If we've got a reason to boast, we will boast. 
We get a new boat, we'll tell you about it. We get a new car, we'll post it on Facebook. We get a new house, we'll make sure you see it on Twitter. We have a tendency to boast in our accomplishments. Look at me, I I went to college, put it on a wall. Look at me, I won something, put that trophy on a shelf so everybody could see it. That's who we are, that's what we're made of. We, We have this part of us that refuses to give God credit all the credit, all the glory, all the honor, all the praise. And I'm here to tell you this morning, until you get to the point where you can let God remove the pride from your life, you will live a frustrated life because you cannot do this without the Lord. You need him more than you ever imagined you could need him because in your weakness, he says, I am made strong. So he gets rid of the pride. He removes the pride. Second thing I see is this. Pride is removed so that prayer can increase. Because prideful people aren't prayerful people. And you've been blaming your lack of prayer on, I don't know how to pray. Well, wait a minute. The disciples didn't know how to pray. They asked Jesus how to pray, and he said, this is how you pray. Well, I don't know how. Well, Jesus said, this is how you pray. Our Father who art. So if all you can do is say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Jesus taught you how to pray. There's no... Ex- I don't know how. It's so hard. It's written out for you. Like It's there. It's like taking an exam and you got the answers. It's pride that keeps us from praying. It's self-confidence, not God-confidence that keeps us from praying. Pride says, I don't need to pray. Notice what happens. Watch Peter's journey, his spiral downward. God says, Peter, Satan has desired to sift you. He's going to get you. I've prayed for you, but he's going to get you. You're going to fall, but you're going to come back. You're going to repent. Peter says, no, I'm willing to die for you. I'll go to prison for you. A few verses later, Jesus is just begging him to pray with him. Jesus is in the garden praying. He's overwhelmed. He comes out to his disciples. They're not praying with him. Listen to what Jesus says. He says in Luke 22, verse 45 through 46, Jesus comes to the disciples and he finds them sleeping from sorrow. And he says to them, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not enter into temptation. In other words, Jesus is saying, when you feel sorrow, it's not a time to sleep. It's a time to pray. See, what had happened for these disciples is they thought they were on this move into Jerusalem. And Jesus was going to knock the Romans out of power. And he was going to sit on this throne and then he was going to make them judges and they were going to rule the people. And they were going to get nice houses and all of this stuff. They misinterpreted The whole point of Jesus showing up. And so when he begins to tell them that this thing involves some suffering and this thing involves some pain and this thing involves a cross and this thing involves burial and this thing involves stuff that you weren't prepared for, all of a sudden sorrow fills their heart because now Christianity isn't about mansions and power. Christianity is about suffering and dying for the sake of the gospel of Jesus. And now they're they're sorrowful. And when you're sorrowful, don't you just want to take a nap? 
just want to go to sleep. You ever, you ever had a moment in your life where you're just like, if I just got eight hours tonight, just a solid eight hours, I would be good tomorrow. And the reality is, is you can sleep and sleep and sleep and sleep and it doesn't fix sorrow. The only thing that fixes sorrow is prayer. And so Jesus comes and he said, why are you sorrowful? Get up and pray. Peter would get this because later in Peter's book, 1 Peter 4 and 7, Peter would say this. He would say, be alert in prayer. Watch in prayer. That word watch means stay alive. Stay awake. Peter would understand that for me to make it in this world, for me to make it through my week, for me to make it through this next hour, I am going to need to give it to God in prayer. That's why the Bible says, bring all your needs. Let everything be made known to God by prayer and supplication. Whatever is on your heart, share it with God. Some people are like, I don't know how to pray. I'm like, it's in the Bible, but I don't, it's, it's just so tough. Do you know how to yell in pain and sorrow? Do you know how to scream out when something doesn't go the way you want it to go? Do you know how to, do you know how to moan and, and to groan when things are going against you? Then you know how to pray. Do you know how to yell help when you're in the middle of something you don't know how to get yourself out of, that's called prayer. It might not sound spiritual, and it might not sound like the person beside you, and you might not put all your words together, but if you just open up your mouth, the God who saved you is the God who hears you and responds when you pray. He responds. And so he removes the pride so he can increase prayer, because if you have pride, you don't pray. And when the prayer is increased, you stop reacting so quickly and reacting so easily. Notice what happens next. So Peter is, he said, I'm with you. And Jesus is like, I'm about to kill that pride, bro. And then he says, I'm full of sorrow. I can't pray. Jesus says, no. The lack of prayer is the result of pride. And then the next thing that happens, the soldiers come to get Jesus. And Peter, because he's full of pride and hasn't prayed, what does he do? He acts out of reaction. He acts out of his own natural tendency and instinct. They grab Jesus. He pulls out a sword and cuts an ear off. I'm going to ask Peter when I get to heaven, like, were you aiming for the ear? Or did you miss the throat? Like, where were you trying to really get this guy? Maybe Jesus just was like, he just kind of like breathed on his sword and was like, oh, he just about hit him in the throat. And he made it hit his ear because he didn't want to raise any dead people that day. He was like, I got my own drama to deal with. I'll just pick an ear up. I'm not going to. Just don't feel like doing a resurrection today. I could do an ear. Gosh. I don't know. Peter, he just acts for even thinking. Unwise people act before they think. So what he's trying to do is deny ourselves. He's trying to remove the pride, increase our prayer, and he's trying to teach us to trust him and not react. Because the reason you react is because you don't trust him. The reason you react so negatively and so with so much doubt when something happens is because you don't trust. 
Because if you trusted, you wouldn't react. If you would have heard Jesus say, I've got to go to the cross. If you would have trusted the process of God, then you would have known. He said in his word, and I know his word because I read it. He said, and I know he said it because I've been praying and he speaks to me and I speak to him. Because any relationship without communication is a breeding ground for suspicion. (laughs) When you haven't communicated your password to your iPhone to your wife, you you could be the best dude in the world. But because you haven't communicated access to her, She thinks you're hiding something. You might not be hiding anything, but because you haven't communicated with her, baby, everything I have is yours. Here's my email address, my password. You want my Facebook? Absolutely. You're my girl. I got nothing to hide. I only post pictures of you anyway. Come on now. (laughs) Well, you want my phone? You want to read through my text messages? You go right ahead. It's all yours. But when she picks it up and she starts tinkering with it, you're like, what are you doing? I'm just picking up your cell phone. Why are you picking up my cell phone? I don't, I don't know. I ain't got nothing to hide. What's your password? Let me see it. Let me see it. You, you won't enter it right. It's, it just locked up. It's 10 minutes. 10 minutes until it's got to refresh. You just entered the wrong password too many times. You plug it up to a computer. You wipe it clean. Because without communication, there's no trust. And if you don't communicate with God through prayer and through Bible study, you won't trust God. And so when something wacky comes into your life, you'll be like, oh, my goodness. God hates me. He is not on my side. He is not for me. He's against me. He doesn't care about me. But if you know that he is for you and not against you, then it doesn't matter what comes into your life. You know Romans 8 that tells you all things work together for the good of them that love God and are the called according to, the, to his purpose. If this is in my life, then God's got this because God has me. And so I don't freak out when something crazy happens in my life because I know because I've developed trust. Because the pride is gone. The prayer is increased. So I'm not reacting. Because now I know who God is. I know Him to be faithful because I know Him. You can't know Him to be faithful if you don't know Him. <laughs> I got I to gotta shave this thing. It makes me scratch it all the time. Some of y'all are thinking like, wow, he's like in deep thought. No, it just it itches. It just itches. <laughs> So, he's removing the pride. He's increasing the prayers. This is what he's doing through denial, through self-denial. Removing pride, increasing prayer, teaching us not to react, but trust. And listen, he's removing the distance. Because whenever you're full of pride and you're not praying and you're reacting, naturally, there's condemnation. Naturally. You just feel it. And you wonder, where am I at with God? Like, 
because I'm full of pride. I'm not praying. I'm reacting to everything that happens in my life. I'm not full of faith. So naturally, there's a distance there that we've created. But God wants to, He wants to use denial of self to get rid of the distance, to eliminate the distance we feel. Self-denial isn't about, oh, I've got to keep these rules. I've got to go to church. I've got to be faithful. I've got to serve. I've got to give. None of that is about keeping rules. All of that is about removing the distance. Because the reality is, is when you, when you don't do that, God doesn't distance Himself from you. You feel like you've distanced yourself from God. There's condemnation associated with not doing what God tells you to do. Not obeying His Word. Not following His commands. Not living right. There's guilt that comes with that. It's not that God puts it on us. There's, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. It's that we've done it to ourselves. The Bible says that your sin has separated you from God. Not your sin has separated God from you. It says your sin has separated you from God. You disconnected. He didn't disconnect. Let me tell you how I know that to be true. Because if you read this story just a little further down in Luke 22, the Bible says there comes a point where Peter, because of everything he has done, his pride, his lack of prayer, his reaction. Now the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 22, look what it says in verse 54. Having arrested Jesus, they led him away and brought him to the house of the high priest. But Peter, watch, was following at a distance. Peter, who had just a few verses later said, I'll go to prison with you. I'll die for you. Now he's following at a distance. And then it gets to the point where he rejects Jesus, acts like he doesn't even know Jesus. He's following at a distance. Because when you feel like you're not sure where you and God are, you will constantly follow at a distance. But watch what happens. It goes on to tell us that Peter... While he's following at a distance. Listen to what it says. It says that Jesus, after Peter had denied him, and the roosters crowed. Peter knows it. Jesus hears it. The Bible tells us that immediately Jesus' eyes fell on Peter. You should be... You should. You should be running around this room right now. Because if, if Jesus had any reason to look away from somebody, to not look at him in disappointment. Have you ever been disappointed in somebody? What do they, or somebody's been disappointed in you? You look at them and they go, they won't even look at you because they're disappointed. Jesus cannot be disappointed in you. Because he's the Alpha and the Omega. He's already been where your, where your failure is. So he knows it's going to happen. Disappointment is when you expect something to happen that didn't happen. You're disappointed. I expected them to show up. They didn't show up. 
this is killing somebody's world right now because they're like, they, they're like, but Jesus, he's got to be disappointed, right? It's got to, it's got to hurt him. No, he's already been to where you failed him. And so he's, he knows it's coming. So he's not disappointed. He's like, when you do it, he's like, I knew that would happen. But guess what? I've made a way. I knew you would fall. And so I made a way. I told you, Peter, you were going to deny me. I'm not shocked. I told you you would deny me. But pride wouldn't let you hear the rest of my statement. Pride wouldn't let you hear that when you fall, you will return. You will repent. And when you do repent, many people will come to the knowledge of Jesus. Your failure, if you would stop looking at your failure as this big stain on you and, as, and look at it more as an opportunity for Jesus to get glory out of your life, for many people to come to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus because you didn't stay down, you got up. And it says to them, if I'm, in where, if I'm where I'm at and they're where they're at and they could get up, then maybe I can get up too. Maybe I can get up too. Maybe I can let God down. Maybe I can fail. And he still loved me. Maybe I could fall away and walk behind him and follow at a distance and his eyes still find me. Maybe. Maybe. So the Bible says Jesus' eyes fell on Peter. Do you know what happened? Peter immediately felt the conviction of the Holy Ghost. Said he wept. He wept bitterly. Well, Jesus dies. Three days later, He's resurrected. And he starts appearing to the disciples. Matter of fact, at one point, he sent word, let Peter know I'm, I'm, I'm alive. Can't imagine what Peter was going through. Peter, who had walked at a distance and abandoned Jesus in that moment. The struggle he was in. Then all of a sudden he finds out Jesus is alive. Wow. That's good news. But I've got some explaining to do. So Jesus appears to the disciples and there's no talk of any personal interaction between him and anybody but Thomas. Thomas was doubting that he was resurrected. He shows up. Thomas he says, look, here, look at my hands, my feet, look at my side. Thomas literally sticks his fingers in the wounds of Jesus. And then he becomes a believer. This speaks to me that God is not intimidated by your doubts. You could doubt him all the way up to the point where he appears to you bodily. And you stick your fingers in his wounds and he'll still love you. If he's got to show up in your house and freak you out. He will do whatever he's got to do to make sure you know he is real. Don't you worry about that person who's running away from God. You just go ahead and pray. God hears your prayers. He will respond and he will show himself to them. He will be faithful. The Bible tells us even when we are unfaithful, God is still faithful. He remains faithful. He cannot deny his own. That lost one who's running away from God right now, he knows how to bring them back. He runs to Thomas and he says, look at me, look at me, I'm here. Thomas is like, okay, I believe. I believe too. I don't think Thomas is that big of a hero. It's like you had to literally see his body. I've never seen him, Thomas. And I'm here preaching about him right now. Never seen him. Never seen him. 
<laughs> Thomas and I are going to have a talk. He's mad at me right now. He'll get over it. It's heaven. No tears. No tears, Thomas. Get over it. Um, <laughs> is that wrong? I don't know. I don't care. Anyhow, anyhow, back to Peter. So Peter, he's not had a conversation with Jesus. Peter, I can't imagine what he's thinking. He's thinking, I wonder if he's, wonder if he's still cool with me. Like, I wonder if I'm still in. Like, am I one of his disciples? Does he? And so what we see is John chapter 21. John tells us of this incredible story after the resurrection of Jesus where Jesus finally has a conversation with Peter. But it's after Peter goes fishing. Because what Peter did was what all of us do when we're not sure about where we are in this whole Christianity thing, we go back to what we're familiar with. I tried the church thing, but I'm just not sure. I tried this God thing, but dude, I, I don't know. Man, I, I tr- I'm just going to go fishing because that's what I know how to do. And I love this. They're fishing and they catch nothing. They've been fishing all night. These are professional fishermen. Jesus shows up. He's just walking. He's on the shore. He says, children... I love the grace of God. They had to feel like total failures. John's the only one who's at the crucifixion. And he says, what does he say? He doesn't say, hey, failures. Hey, losers. (laughs) Thought I was dead, didn't you? He didn't do it. No. He says, children. He says, have you any food? And all the while, Jesus is cooking some fish. On the shore. In other words, Jesus is saying, what you're looking for, I've already got. <laughs> and it's already cooked. <laughs> you know, it's, that's, it, that's an, we, won't talk, we won't go there. That would take two hours for me to preach. So Jesus looks out and he says, children, do you have any food? They say, no. We've been fishing all night, nothing. He says, Cast the net on the other side. Like it's the same body of water. You're not at least going to tell us like you did before, go out deeper. Like, no, just stay right there. Just throw your net on the other side of the boat. This is ridiculous. They do it. And the Bible tells us that as soon as they did it, the net started to fill up with fish. Peter says it's Jesus. Jumps out of the boat. Carrying his garment. Gets to Jesus. They start to have a conversation. What's the whole, what's the whole point? Denying ourselves When we've truly done it. We get to the place. Where even the thing we used to be able to do without God. We can't even do that anymore. Did you catch that? Peter, professional fisherman, says, I'm going fishing, catching nothing. Trying to go back to his old way of life, but he doesn't even know how to do that anymore. Some of you, you could, you could go back. You could go back to those relationships. You could go back, you could go back. But let me tell you something. You don't know how to do that anymore. 
You don't even know how to be good at what you, what you used to be good at anymore. I don't, I don't know how to be a good sinner anymore. Like I'm a bad sinner. I'm bad. I used to be, I used to be the best liar. Now it's like, what is that crazy stuff that's coming out of your mouth? Like, everybody, my wife, she's like, the moment I start to like, uh, see what happened was I was like driving and then she's like, liar. I'm like, my parents didn't catch me for 20 years and you catch me in five seconds. I'm just not good at being who I used to be anymore. That's what denial is all about. God taking you through this process. It's painful. It's a struggle, but it's about him getting you to the point where you have nothing to go back to, that you're completely sold out for the cause of Jesus Christ. I'm not even good at what I used to be good at. (laughs) Then he starts to talk to Peter. He says, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, you know, I love you, Lord. Peter, do you love me? Lord, I love you. Peter, do you love me? Peter's a little upset. He says, you know I love you. Peter, feed my sheep. That's what this is all about. Yeah, Peter, don't you remember? I told you when I met you. You're not going to fish for fish anymore. I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And what you didn't understand, what you thought was your greatest failure, was, and you thought it was your greatest downward spiral, was actually, actually me getting you to the place where you don't want to fish for, men, for fish anymore, but now you want to fish for men. You've denied yourself to the point that what I told you I was going to make you, you've become it. Weeks later, Peter would be standing, and on the day of Pentecost, he would stand up and preach. 3,000 would give their life to Jesus that day. What you're going through, it's not just going to help you, it's going to feed others. pain you're experiencing that failure that you thought was the end of you is it's really not the end of you it's the beginning of you fishing in a different direction so today all I came to declare to you is this if you're going to follow Jesus you're going to have to deny yourself and take up your cross simply Jesus says to Peter Peter soon your arms are going to be stretched out. The Bible tells us there that he was telling Peter that he was going to die for the glory of God. That's what it says. The cross that we take up is the thing that dies in us to give God glory. So I deny myself so that I can take up my cross so that I can die to self and truly give God glory with my life because that's what it's all about. It's not for my glory. It's not for your glory. It's not for my fame. It's not for anyone's fame. Heard somebody say the other day, they said, 
Man, wouldn't it be amazing if so-and-so was a Christian? They have so much influence and they, they could get so many people saved. Their name is so huge that, man, if they got saved, so many people would get saved. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. We don't need their name. Because we already have a name that's above every name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. What makes you think we need your name? What makes you think we need their name? I'm grateful for Tim Tebow, but even if Tim Tebow didn't live, there would still be people coming to Jesus. Hello. I've met Tim Tebow. He doesn't think he is everything people make him out to be. And that's the reason he's He's used by God in the way he's used by God. You'd be surprised to meet people who you're like, oh man, if they, if, they're like, no, I, please, if anything, turn the light off of me and spread the light, spread the name, spread the fame of the one who truly deserves it. His name is Jesus Christ. He's the son of the living God. He died for us. He was buried for us. He rose from us, for us. He was ascended into heaven. He's the one making intercession for my life right now. It's not me. It's Jesus Christ. It's Jesus. We stand with me. <laughs> So this week, I'm not telling you to go out looking for suffering. I'm not telling you to go out and look for pain. Life is full of it already. You don't have to look for it. But one thing you can know is you can know this. 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12, Paul tells Timothy, he says, Timothy, Timothy's a young man. He's a young pastor. He's trying to encourage him. He says, Timothy, if we suffer with him, we will reign with him. Philippians 1 and 29 says, For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him. Romans 5, 3-4 says, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulation. When was the last time somebody went through something and you were like, Glory to God! My lights got turned off. Thank you, Jesus! Like, when have we ever gone through anything difficult and thought, man, that's glorious but we glory in tribulation knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope philippians 3 and 10 paul says i want to know christ i want to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings and become like him in his death so jesus says if anybody wants to follow me come after me he is to deny himself take up his cross and follow me. Peter, even after all of that, because you're like, does it, does it end when I go through that process? No, another process begins. Because there's other areas of pride you're going to have to deal with, not just the one you're thinking of right now. Peter, Jesus is talking. He's told him to feed his sheep. He starts to tell Peter how he's going to die. And then Peter, Peter goes... Peter goes, well, what, what about John? Like the John writing the book that, well, what about John? And Jesus says, that's none of your business. It's none of your business. If I want John to stay alive until I return, that's my business. That's not your business. Follow me. Follow me. 
Don't compare your path to somebody else's path. Don't compare your situation. What God has for them is for them, and what God has for you is for you. Follow Him. Just follow Him. Your road won't look like everybody else's road. It won't. It, it won't. And you're thinking, wow, they just, and they ended up, and they, no, your road isn't going to look like theirs. Follow Him. Follow Him on the path that He's walking that's in front of you. Follow Him. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank You for Your Word. We ask Jesus that this Word would be sealed in our hearts. God, we want to know You. The power of Your resurrection. We want to know You. The fellowship of Your sufferings. We want to be like You. We want to be like